Hello, and welcome to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Welcome, welcome. Luke, do you want to get us rolling on our tour here? Thank you, Katie. Today's subject in the Morbid Museum will be Lincoln's body. Yes. <laughs> the mortal <laughs> remains of the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. <sighs> so this is going to be an amazing story and one you may have heard about, folks, because Abraham Lincoln is kind of a famous character. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is the 16th president of the United States. He is, oh. you may recognize him from the penny. The penny. Um, Abraham Lincoln was the first American president to be assassinated in our history, unfortunately not the last. And he's killed in 1865 in Washington, D.C. by the actor John Wilkes Booth. It was Good Friday. It was. It was Easter weekend. And mm -hmm. so it was so religious in a sense in terms yeah. of Lincoln's sainthood. Um, yeah, so that's a great though, point. Though Lincoln's life ends hours after the shooting, which is traumatic and terrible, the body of Lincoln embarks on an incredible journey from the nation's capital to Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield, Illinois. And Abraham Lincoln did not rest in peace, folks. He had a very sort of tra traumatic experience that followed <laughs> his trauma Poor of, his, of his death. Incredibly morbid. The national trauma of Lincoln's death was widely felt across the country. Mm -hmm. You know, no president before or since has really commanded that level of adoration and love and respect of the people. And the well, more like half of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that national trauma, we can still argue that that's with us today. And mm. it relates to our mourning practice today and how we think about presidential safety, security, how they, how they live and how they die is really related to the story of Lincoln's body. Yeah. So this is, changed, this can, changed the country for sure. Changed the world. In it changed respect. the world. So before we dive into all that, folks, I mm. want to talk for a minute about something that Katie and I share, and that is our deep love <laughs> and obsession for the chief executives of the United <laughs> States of America. So for better or for worse. <laughs> Katie, I want you to tell us a little bit about why you love the American president so much and where oh, it came from. Take yes. us through that. My love for the presidents <laughs> definitely begins with the musical 1776. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which apparently is the root of all of my knowledge and passions. <laughs> but it is. I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. It's the reason why I did so great on the U.S. history regents was because I was thinking of songs from the musical. <laughs> right. And we're combining our love of theater and history mm -hmm. in one package. It's brilliant. Falling in love with them as characters. And of course, you know, you're what we learn changes a lot over time. So my passion for Thomas Jefferson then was a little different than how I view Thomas Jefferson now. That's right. As, as an adult with a lot more knowledge. Um, I, however, you know, with Jefferson, with Lincoln, with Washington, all these figures who have, um, you know, they're not perfect people. And some of them are downright horrible people. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that they were our presidents and that it is important to know who they were and to understand their their legacy um, for better or for worse, like I said. And I am just so enraptured by this topic because 
these are human beings being granted this monumental task. And they're not mm. given the excuse of, you know, a monarch where it's like, oh, it, it was anointed by God. Mm -hmm. No, they're they're under a different level of scrutiny. We technically choose them. Um, and yeah, the the enormous responsibility, especially in a baby country. So the the early early presidencies especially fascinate me because you're just starting from nothing. Um, this ex American experiment, where are we going? Yeah. How can we keep this going? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's friggin' fascinating. And, but above all of them, uh, Lincoln is, is my favorite uh, because he is such an amazingly interesting individual, so quiet, but so intelligent, had the best friggin' one-liners. You know, he's sim similarly a complicated character in that Very. sometimes his actions and his private views didn't mesh. Sometimes his writings go directly against the things that he did or didn't do. So it's hard to know what was fact or fiction with him, which is one of the other reasons why I love studying the presidents, him and and the others, is because we only have what they've left behind. And that's right. so that's why there's, I, I don't know at this point, hundreds of books written about Abraham Lincoln. He is by far the most written right? about American president, by yeah. far. So that's me. What about you? So I fell in love with the presidents at a very early age. And I thought it's kind of like, you know, when you're a queer kid, am I the only one? You know, so there's not many people <laughs> in my life who I can say who I have a who I'm friendly with who also share the love of presidents, which I think which I think is why we're such friends. Absolutely. But I yeah, I would I wrote a poem about the presidents in fifth grade. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> I wrote oh. letters. I wrote letters to the living presidents when I was like a, a, a young person, like in my early early years, like probably eight to fifteen. I wrote letters to President Carter, oh, Clinton, that's so cute. Reagan. I wrote a letter to I wrote a letter to Reagan when he was definitely senile, and I got like a an autographed picture of him and Nancy. Um, that's so cute. Oh and my God. yeah. <laughs> And I agree with you that the opinions of them change over time. Our favorites we pick early on, you know, as history gets more nuanced and complicated as we get older, yes. we have a different understanding who they are. But through it all, Lincoln remains high on that Parthenon of yes. the best presidents out there. What I love about the presidents is that they're us, as you said, we, we choose them. They represent us, even yeah. though they're mostly white men with the exception of Barack Obama. They represent <laughs> who we are. And even though American history is short, we can break it down into these avatars. So, you know, I think you and I, when we're looking at a historical period, we go, okay, 18, whatever, who's president? Because yeah. that, that gives us a sense of the mood, the scene, the zeitgeist of the time. And yeah. I think presidential history for us nerds out there is, you know, some of the, one of the best through lines through American history. For many, Abraham Lincoln is regarded as the greatest American president. He shepherds the nation through the American Civil War. So the worst chapter. The worst. And in, yeah. 18, in 1861, when he's elected, he's elected 1860, he takes office in 1861. Only a few months later, shots are fired on Fort Sumter. And the Confederacy was largely formed in response to Lincoln being president because of his believed softness or changing attitudes in regards to the institution of slavery. Yes. And, and even then, wasn't he um, wasn't he more interested in perhaps some level of compromise? It's not like he ran on a platform of abolition. He did not. He lived in the gray. He was yeah. he was into things like relocating uh, people of Afro-originated descent back to Africa for their safety yes. and settling them back in a place where they wouldn't be molested by evil white people. And good intentions, know, gross on 
paper. Gross. Yeah, re <laughs> repatriating them, which sounds interesting, but yeah, it's not the right thing to do per yeah. se. This is their home. They lived here for centuries. This is their country. And so how do we make yes. them part of that country? And so Lincoln's ideas change over time. In 1863, he drafts the Emancipation Proclamation, which frees states in the rebelling states, not necessarily those in, in the Union. Because Such a complicated document. <laughs> he had to pacify states yes. like Maryland, who still had enslaved people, and the political power of the Union was so fragile. I think it seems like a foregone conclusion the North was going to win, but folks, it was contentious. The war was costly. Almost 700,000 people die in yeah. the conflict. So an immense amount of death is swirling around Lincoln throughout his time. He was a gentle soul. He was a lovable figure. He was a storyteller, a raconteur. He loved to delight people with stories and fables to help him make his political points. Um, I love that he loved his children, like deeply, deeply. loved his children. And when he lost children, it, it really devastated him profoundly like it would any good parent yeah it's one of my favorite things about him he did have a complicated family life too because he was very married, he was married to an insane person named mary todd lincoln <laughs> who listen we could go on a whole mary todd tangent about how insane was she versus did she just have a really hard time because i think she had a pretty hard time and lincoln too i mean it's a time where people are having childhood traumas left, right, and center because that's just almost part of normal life. I mean, I I'm sure yeah. you've heard the stories of like how Lincoln basically buried his own stepmother. Like he had, like his father made her him bury her. Mm -hmm. Like that's not fucking normal. <laughs> He he was surrounded by trauma. And yeah, Mary Todd is misunderstood. She was so outspoken, which was not normal at the time. She took she didn't take these licks yes. standing down when people no, she know, did not. chastised her for spending money for the executive mansion. She's like, look, this place is falling down. This White House is bullshit. Let's fix it. Let's clean it up. Let's get it, you know, in a sense where it's prepared for the American people to receive them when they come. Acted gorgeously by Sally Fields in the movie Lincoln. The best. When she talks about mushrooms as big as the moon. <laughs> Lincoln was loss on top of loss on top of loss for her. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another reason why she can be pretty maligned. Because frankly, if I lost my children and my husband, I'd go fucking crazy too. And he was murdered in front of her. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> like she's got a lot going on. <laughs> she's got a lot going on. And she is like a Queen Victoria who is Absolutely. also misunderstood and is also plagued by grief. And so you can definitely draw a parallel between Mary Todd Lincoln and Queen Victoria. The Victorian age is all about mourning and grief and things being painted yes. black, never emerging from your, your black crinoline. Yeah, your state of mourning forever. Yeah. So she kind of takes on that dowager role in yes. the in the end of her life. Um so in honor of Gay Pride Month, Yay. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Lincoln's body, honey, okay? So first of his all, body. his body girl. So there is a widespread theory that oh, Abraham, yes. Abraham Lincoln may have been queer. Um, Katie, do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe this is just because I am a hetero female and because I am in love with him that let's, I refuse to believe. <laughs> let's check the bias. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that I have a bias. However, I, from what I know of history and my studies of history, I know that it was not uncommon for men to have more emotional relationships where they Very could openly, openly speak about their affection and feeling towards one another. Sharing a bed was not weird 
when traveling because there were only so many beds. <laughs> so, but all of that being said, yeah, he could also be gay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't he could have been gay. We don't know. We know he had intimate relations with um, law partners and friends and associates, yes. um, but that was not uncommon at the time. Right. Um, and, you know, gay people were around in the sense that gayness has always been a thing of human existence, but people could not live out as gay. So even if oh they God, were, no. even if they were gay, they would never really act on it or they would not be open about it. So there's not going to be any evidence that we're going to find a smoking gun about Abraham no. Lincoln's, you know, homosexuality. Um, but he there's did have no, <laughs> there's no speedo or anything hiding <laughs> away in his pocket. <laughs> We found this handkerchief that Abraham Lincoln wore in his back pocket, uh, which indicated no. Uh, so, gay! <laughs> gay, gay, gay. So, you know, but what's great about it is that we're still talking about Lincoln. We're still debating these things. Yes. And, you know, I think it's very possible that James Buchanan, the president before him, was gay. Oh, so gay. So gay. Extremely like, gay. Yeah. Bachelor, bachelor president. Mm -hmm. Very weird. Very mm -hmm. just like a feat. Let's talk about the physical, you know, corporeal vessel of Lincoln. And it's important to talk about this yes. because Lincoln is so mythologized. He exists in a time of photography, but not of video and recorded sound. So we don't hear Lincoln. We don't really see him moving. He's always a fixed statuesque figure. He's the monument in Washington, D.C. And he's so great. He's so beloved that we get away from who he actually was as a person. He was mm -hmm. a person. He was just like us. And so he's born February 12th, 1809 to Thomas and Nancy Lincoln in Kentucky. Nancy Hanks was his mother's maiden name. Unfortunately, Nancy Hanks dies in 1818 when young Abraham is about eight or nine years old. And it is believed that uh, Nancy died of what was called milk sickness. Yes. <laughs> Which is basically when you drink milk uh, from cows who have fed on snake root or other poisonous um, substances. There may have been other factors that led to her death, which has been a source of endless speculation and yes. possibility. Va vampires, for instance. Oh, my God. I love that book. So good. Um, the movie's great. It's, it, it is actually very good. So Abraham Lincoln was tall. He was six foot four. Um, and people were just as tall then as they are now. You know, basically, your height is dependent on your genetics on your nutrition, um, despite the sort of long-held myth that people were shorter back then. But he was a big dude in any sense of the word. He'd be huge today. He was huge then. Um, he had black, coarse hair. Mm -hmm. He had a dark complexion. And he was said to have gray eyes. So he was a really interesting-looking character. He stood out. He, he stood, stood out. out. He and is he walked in kind of a almost like a slumping, sloping matter. He had like a weirdly kind of shrill voice too, right? Isn't that what they say about him? Yes. I'm going to talk yeah. about that in just a second. Yay! Um, so, <laughs> okay, for the record, real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know way too much about Abraham Lincoln to be quiet in this episode. I'm going to do my friggin' damnedest, but it's going to be hard because nothing excites me more than talking about Abraham Lincoln. We're going to roll with this. And I got some interesting media I want to play that can Yay! really help build that out. Okay. I'm so excited. So yeah, the voice is really interesting too, because what did he sound like? That was people are obsessed with. So yes. getting back to his genetics a little bit. So it is often posited that Nancy Hanks was what some people call a Melungeon. Rough term. It's a very derisive term. 
it's a term used to apply to a race of people in the United States who live in Appalachia. So Kentucky, Virginia, uh, and Tennessee in the hills Hill people. there. Hill people. Right? So for years, Melungeons, which they, they think comes from the word melange, French, a melange of races. It was oh, long. Oh, I never it, even thought about that. That makes sense. It was long believed that Melungeons were kind of like the essential American people. They were part Native American, they were part African American, and they were part white European people. The word, which sounds crazy. The, that word is just insane, Melungeon. So there's two sides to the story. I think today there's sort of a sense of Melungeon heritage that is upheld. People are Ownership. Proud, people are proud of it. Yeah. Um, but there's been some modern DNA analysis that has sort of thrown a wrench in the long-held thoughts about who Melungeons actually were. So to pass in society, people of this heritage would often sort of mask or claim different uh, DNA ancestry, they would say, oh, we're Portuguese, we're Turkish, we're Moorish. But modern DNA analysis really proves that the origin of Melungeon people comes in Virginia in the 1600s when there were indentured servants here just before slavery was really taking off. And of there course. was intermarrying between people of sub-Saharan African origin and Northern or Central European people. And mm -hmm. so that's what it really means. We don't really know where Lincoln's where Lincoln stands on this, but the characteristics of Melungeons was often gray eyes, a heavy brow, and dark skin. And so the implication that Abraham Lincoln maybe has a little bit of African ancestry elevates the story a little bit more in terms of his sympathy for the cause of black freedom and his love for his fellow man. Maybe that's something he lived with in his life. Pictures of Nancy Hanks do not exist, but art artistic renderings, it's pretty much Lincoln and drag. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm loving this gay pride episode. <laughs> Lincoln was a strong character in terms of his mind and in terms of his physical bearing. He was a wrestler. Uh, he wrestled in competitions when he was a young man. He was a backwoodsman living in Kentucky and Indiana. And so he used that identity of the rail splitter in mm -hmm. his 1860 election campaign. So he was seen as this an images of him holding an ax. I was gonna say, I love the drawings of the time of him looking so strong and sexy. Hot, yeah, he's like, he's standing with a, with a Captain Morgan leg up and his like arm over his brow, his like shirt sleeves rolled up. Oh, it's so hot. There's a smokiness there, yeah, there's a sexiness there. Um, but despite all of those strong characteristics, he was a strong character in terms of his physical bearing. He likely had malaria at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't? <laughs> he also was believed to have had tuberculosis at yes. some point. It is also thought that he may have suffered from syphilis at some point in his life, like Benjamin Franklin and so many others before. And Where do you get that from, though? Because mm. Benjamin Franklin earned that syphilis. Benjamin Franklin was a hoe and <laughs> he introduced a lot of things to this country and he also introduced a lot of diseases to this country, I'm pretty Most sure. Most of the diseases. <laughs> and Lincoln was something of a I don't want to say celibate figure, but he's not really overly sexualized, you know. No, but Luke again, and I are sexualizing him, but literally no one else does that. <laughs> Spend way too much time thinking about this. And as an adult, Lincoln suffered from chronic constipation, which I knew Haiti, you would be, uh, you know, hot, hot, interested hot. in touching Speaking on. Speaking of sexy. <laughs> He took these pills that were known as blue mass pills, which were widely circulated at the time. Key ingredient was either arsenic. Oh, Lord. See, or, I never heard this before. Or mercury. 
Yipes. So when he was on the blue mass pills as president, he was recorded to have these fits of rage. He had insomnia, memory loss, and trembling hands, which are some of the neurobehavioral symptoms of mercury poisoning. But so regular. So regular. <laughs> yeah. Best shit of his life, but everything else is going to hell. And so this also ner nerve damage from the blue mass pills may have affected his gait. So Katie, you talked about his interesting oh. shuffle. He also may have just, you know, got a got a rail split in his foot or something. Who knows? I mean, it could yeah, have been, or he's been so anything. tall. He's uncomfortable being a tall guy. Sometimes people who are awkward about their tallness tend to be more slumpy. So for a long time, people have sort of posited that he had Marfan syndrome. Yes. But sort of modern thinking on this, it gets a little more nuanced. It is mm. now thought that he may have had multiple endocrine neoplasia type B, which was a Marfanoid body disease in the same family, but maybe not as extreme as Marfan syndrome. He in and of himself is so morbid, right? He's, he's got so, so many, morbid. so many morbidities. <laughs> he's he's like a walking, yeah, health record. It's ridiculous. And so the his weird body shape, his bumpy lips, the constipation, history compatible with cancer. And it's believed that some of these things may have contributed to the early deaths of his sons, Eddie, Willie, and Tad. And so his jaw, his drooping eyelid, a lot yeah. of these things are associated with these kinds of diseases, depression, which he suffered from immensely throughout his life, especially as president. So Lincoln lived a long time, despite all of these health issues. Yes. He's in his 50s when he's president. Um, the, like if, if it was, you know, Marfan syndrome, I don't think the lifespan on that is generally very long. Correct? It's not. It's not like Marfan, like Mar Marfan syndrome proper, very debilitating. Yes. Ter terrible to suffer from. And you're right. It kind of colors one's life. One could not be president if one no. had Marfan syndrome in its complete form. Which is um, why there's so many question questions around what really is his diagnosis. Yes, the health of Lincoln is debated vociferously to this day. So only one child of Mary Todd and Abraham Robert Todd Lincoln, Bay, lives into adulthood. Bobby. Um, he's such a Bay. So let's talk a little bit about Lincoln's voice. So this is a cool topic because, again, Lincoln is a statue. He's a monument. He's so much more than a man. What in the world did he sound like? He spoke mm -hmm. these amazing words in the Gettysburg Address, his inaugural addresses. What in the world did he sound like? And so Hollywood has had a lot of fun with mythologizing Lincoln's voice. Yes. And so to that end, I have a couple of clips that I would like to play. And so the first comes from Abe Lincoln in Illinois, a film from 1940 golden age of Yay! early biopics, the incredible Raymond Massey, Massey portrays Lincoln. And so here's a clip of him when he's debating Stephen A. Douglas, a friend of mine who I've played before. Yes. Um, and so he is speaking with a sort of sense of, of, of passion about the institution of slavery, labor conditions in the United States. And I'll play that right now. As an American, I cannot be proud that such conditions exist. But as an American, I can ask, would any of the striking workers in the North elect to change places with the slaves in the South? That is not what Lincoln sounded like. <laughs> no, he's so deep. And yes. he's an actor. Grounded. Grounded. Yes. He's got, it sounds like a Midwestern flair. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of a lilt, as we know. There's say. a little bit of a Stanislavski, some method going on there. He's trying. Right. 
this is this is only uh, 80 years since he died, and there's already so much written about people who were alive who knew him. And so you'd think we'd we'd get it right. People like Doris Kearns Goodwin go back into these diaries of these obscure figures like Gideon Wells, Secretary of, of Navy for Lincoln, and they describe a higher-pitched voice yeah. that kind of goes against the kind of statuesque amazing like i'm george washington george washington right. may have sounded completely different than that we don't know well, isn't but that also like even, even though yeah you're right given the time period there are people who probably knew him i don't think we we hold actors to the same standard then as we do now in terms of like you better be as accurate as possible when you're portraying this real person I don't think most, like from the movies that I know, like biopics from back then, they're not really going for full-blown accuracy like we do now. No, and you can make a lot of choices. So let's hear another clip from a few decades later. So the incredible Daniel Day-Lewis takes a turn. Oh, at my heart. My heart and my soul. Love him. 2012. The incredible oh. Lincoln biopic that that distills all of these modern biographies. And so Lincoln is speaking to his cabinet. <gasps> yes, I wanted you to do this scene. I'm so excited. <laughs> so good. Give me one second. I'll get it ready for you. That's right. Lincoln squeal. Uh, so, <laughs> There's going to be a lot of them. Sorry. So, so this is a scene. He's talking to the cabinet. He's talking about the Emancipation Proclamation, talking about the end of the war, talking about where it's going. And you can get a sense of a different, different voice altogether that comes through. Yes. Here we go. We're stepped out upon the world stage now, now, with the fate of human dignity in our hands. It gives so you a good, so good. And that scene is so powerful. Lincoln is incensed. He slaps his hand on the table to get the attention of the cabinet. Um, you really see his leadership come through and it's just a different voice altogether. Yeah, and it's higher and, and you hear more of an accent for sure. I love I it's the like the, so good. Yeah, it's like reedy. It's like in the in the in the in the deep of his throat. And it's almost like when he speaks, you're going to listen because yes. this you don't person have a choice. Otherwise <laughs> you can't hear him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Isn't there a scene in the movie where he starts talking publicly and you can hear people like straining to hear him just to kind of like belabor the point that his, yeah. he, he was not a great public speaker? When he's when I think when he spoke at Gettysburg, first of all, he came after speaking for like some governor who's spoke for like two hours, which they would do. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God. So then he speaks for like three minutes or eight <laughs> minutes. And people are like, is it over? What? Did it happen? And you couldn't project. There's like thousands of people around him and he gets up there and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. that, that's the Gettysburg address. Great speech writer, not a great orator. <laughs> Let's fast forward now. So we got an understanding of who Lincoln is as a person and Lincoln's body. But now we get to the destruction of Lincoln's body. Sigh. Sigh. On April 9th, 1865, Robert E. Lee, commander of the Army of Northern Virginia, surrenders to Ulysses S. Grant of the Union forces at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. Robert Todd Lincoln is in attendance. And so when this happens, the war is over. But there are still eight or nine other Confederate armies in the West, in the South, other parts of the country. But there's a concern about the war is not really, really over. But the nation goes into a sense of jubilation from this moment. We have, we have done it. We have accomplished victory over the Confederacy. The Union will be restored and we will move forward together as one nation, which was... And also just the death is over. I the mean, death is over. The loss for, for both sides. It's just, it needed to end. That's right. There is a famous moment that comes two days later on April 11th, 
Lincoln gives a speech at the white at a window of the White House overlooking a crowd of well-wishers who have assembled. And Lincoln talks about the rebelling states joining the Union and the reconstruction problems ahead of the country. And he talks about mm-hmm. voting rights for black people. Oh, that's where it goes bad for him. <laughs> yes. And so in the crowd is actor John Wilkes Booth. And so, you know, Lincoln says, we meet this evening not in sorrow, but in gladness of heart. He doesn't spike the football. He doesn't do a victory lap. He speaks with the compassion for which he is known. And he speaks about enfranchising blacks. Booth allegedly said that means citizenship for people of color. He doesn't use that word. No, he does not. And he says that's the last speech he's ever going to give by God. I'm going to run him through. So for the months and weeks before April 1865, John Wilkes Booth, a Southern supporter, gets these conspirators with him. And they discuss kidnapping Lincoln, kidnapping um, Secretary of State William Seward, Vice President Andrew Johnson, Ulysses S. Grant. The idea is if they remove or hold ransom the sort of leadership of the North, that the South can restrike. Flawless plan. Quick sidebar about the conspirators, y'all. The conspirators include Lewis Powell, John Atzerott, David Herald, and Mary Surratt. And there were likely many, many more. Mary, Um, Mary. Lewis Powell was so gorgeous. Can we just say? <laughs> no, 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 he really was. <laughs> he was so beautiful. <laughs> Have you ever seen, I, I don't know if it's an Instagram account or if it was just something I saw online. It was like called The Hotties of History. And he's, there's a picture of him. There's a picture of B- Booth himself was quite handsome. Beautiful. Oh my God, gorgeous. So the, gorgeous. The, I mean, he was an actor. The predecessor to Hotties of History, of course, was my daguerreotype boyfriend. Um, <gasps> yes, that's what I was thinking of. Yes. Oh my God. I love, I love yes. a daguerreotype boyfriend. Explain, Dilf- what a, explain what a daguerreotype is, by the way. Oh, sure. And this is so <laughs> important. Know. So yes, Louis Daguerre in France invents an early uh, metal plate photography method, which becomes known as daguerreotypes. They really become popular in the 1840s. It's then followed by ambrotypes, carte de visites, print pictures. So the hot daguerreotype boyfriends are the first hot men captured on, in a camera. <laughs> and Louis Powell is like probably, I don't know if he's in jail in the picture. He's like against the wall. Oh, he's God, got this he's like... So- He's got this normcore sweatshirt on, and he's just smoky, swarthy, unbelievably like, ooh, sexy. Ooh, I want you to plot to kidnap me. <laughs> <laughs> you a snack, boo. Um, so, ooh, stab me in my sleep. Oh, my God. So <laughs> the, the kidnap plot evolves because now it seems like, okay, we're going to lose this war. Holy shit, we got to kill Lincoln. So the plot evolves to kill Seward, kill Lincoln, yes. kill Johnson, kill Grant. So they succeed, of course, in killing Lincoln. Lewis Powell is assigned with the task of killing Secretary of State William Seward. This story is too good not to talk about. I know. William, <laughs> so hot, but not not proficient yes. in, in so this area. <laughs> William Seward had fallen off his carriage a few weeks before April 1865. And so he's in bed, uh, convalescing. So Lewis Powell breaks into the house. He slashes at Frederick Seward, Seward's son. Fanny Seward, his daughter, throws herself in front of the assassin. And Powell stabs Seward many times in the neck and in the chest. But the metal brace he was wearing prevented the knife from 
inflicting a mortal wound. Thank the Lord. So Seward survives, horribly disfigured, by the way. Mm -hmm. So scary looking after the fact. And one of the other assassins for Johnson, Atzerat, I believe, just gets drunk, kind of chickens out, and the rest <laughs> of the plot kind of falls apart. Around nine o'clock or so, the Lincolns go to Ford's Theater, which is just a few blocks from the White House. Mary Lincoln wanted to see a show. The show was Our American Cousin which is a British play. When Lincoln gets to the presidential box, they're already in the first act, they're late. Everybody stands up, the show stops, they're applauding for five minutes, waving their handkerchiefs. You know, Lincoln is basking in the glory of this moment. And the, Yeah, the, he's fresh off of declaring the end of the war. It's a, a public, big time. Yeah. The public adoration is so dense. Being a theatrical person, John Wilkes Booth timed the assassination with such precision. He's such so a he, bitch. Such a bitch. So he waits until the second act when one of the characters played by Harry Hawk delivers a comedic line. And I'll try to say the line now. Oh, yay. Don't know the manners of good society, eh? Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal. You sockdologizing old man trap. Pause for applause and laughter. <laughs> At that moment, Booth slips into the presidential box, which is unguarded, brandishes his Derringer 44 caliber pistol, a small gun known as a lady's gun, and fires a single shot into the left backside of Lincoln's head. <sighs> Lincoln slumps over. And Booth leaps from the box. His spur catches the bunting that's along the presidential box. The American flag's draped there. And he breaks his leg when he lands on the stage. And he thus delivers his line in the drama, Sick Semper, Semper Tyrannis, Tyrannis, which is the state motto of Virginia, thus always to tyrants. Booth thought he was doing the country a great service and the, the Southern Confederacy a great such service. Such a nerd. That's such a nerd thing to do. Yeah, let me see some Latin really quick. So he flees, <laughs> he flees, and he is eventually captured and killed 12 days later, which is an amazing story into itself. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The 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 whole Lincoln conspiracy. There's great books and um, history channel, endless history channel endless, documentaries. Endless. And yeah. so we, we understand that Lincoln saw Booth on stage in the 1860s in Richard III and in Hamlet, and that Lincoln invited him to the White House, but Booth never, never took him up on the invitation. What an interesting mm. conversation that might have been had it happened. Dr. Charles Leal is in the audience in Ford's theater, and he's, he's immediately mobilized to assess the situation of the president. And they don't even know what happened. It happened so fast. The, the shot of the gun was obscured by the laughter. Was he stabbed? Was he cut? What happened? Beaten. And so Charles Leal finds a hole in the back of Lincoln's head. Of course, as they do in the 1860s, sticks his finger in. Gotta poke around in there. Gotta what's see what's going, going on, on in there? <laughs> and he loosens a clot in Lincoln's skull. And Lincoln apparently gasps for breath when this blood was loosened. Very freaky to think about that. I um, can't. Yeah, so terrifying. Dr. Charles Leal says to Mrs. Lincoln, this is a mortal wound. And so he cannot die on the floor in the presidential box in the theater. And so Lincoln's body is carefully carried out of the theater. Now there's a huge mob of people all along the street and there's amazing you know remembrances of them fighting their mm -hmm. way across the street where can they put lincoln's body the peterson boarding house is the spot and that's have right you been i have yeah me it's, too it's a haunting space it is for and sure now the lincoln um the ford theater owns the building next door and so mm -hmm. they've redone their whole museum situation and there's actually this amazing tower of books in the middle of this spiral staircase and mm. the tower the tower of books represents all the books written about lincoln 
Oh my God. When did they do that? I haven't been since I, oh my God, it must've been 1996 or 95. I haven't been in a very long time. Yeah. This is in the last 10 years. Oh, that's Um, awesome. It's really beautiful. And it's a, it's a wonderful tribute to Lincoln. The basement, the the basement of the theater used to be the museum and it was great. But remember, yeah, the museum now with the bicentennial and everything of Lincoln's birth was kind of zhuzhed up properly. Lincoln's body is moved to the Peterson boarding house on the first floor in the back bedroom. Lincoln was so tall, his body is placed diagonally on the bed. So sad. Secretary of War Edwin Stanton arrives and takes command of the scene. He famously banishes Mary Todd Lincoln from the room. She's hysterical. She's going through an immense trauma. Um, and they want to kind of clear the room to sort of with this death watch, which goes on. So the room swells with government aides and officials. At 7.22 the following morning, April 15th, 1865, Lincoln dies, 7.22 a.m. And Stanton apparently said, now he belongs to the ages. There are some who believe that Stanton may have said something different. Stanton may have said, now he belongs to the angels, which Mm. would be a more Christian idea. And it dovetails with the idea of his apotheosis, that he becomes an American god, as it were. Oh, yeah. Total martyr. Total martyr. So Lincoln's body is moved around 10 o'clock in the morning from the Peterson house to the White House, where an autopsy is conducted. And, of course, the autopsy is a little clumsy, uh, (laughs) (laughs) as presidential autopsy sometimes can be. So the bullet is still in Lincoln's head. It went in about four inches into his head. It went in the left side and got lodged behind his right eye. Yeah, and so his great. eye, his eye was bulging, and there was ecchymosis or bruising happening throughout his dying, long dying. And so they removed the brain entirely from his skull. And when the doctors are handling the brain, the bullet falls and just hits this like tin pan, like you know, it's yeah, this little tiny, ding, 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 ding. this little tiny bullet. The funeral process for Lincoln really begins, and. Folks, we may not think of this, but Lincoln was the first president to be embalmed. It's such a huge, huge thing. I mean, all of it, like thinking about the way that it must have felt to see this tiny little piece of metal fall to the floor and know that like this has changed the country forever. Mm -hmm. This has changed history forever. Like this little bullet, this one moment, one man. Yeah, it's 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 wild. And now he's moving into this whole new world of embalming, which is a disgusting process in and of itself. <laughs> a disgusting process. So we we would not think of funeral rites in America today being separated from embalming. But in the 1860s, it was not widespread. And mm-hmm. in the 1840s, embalming was developed in France, the French, again, who revolutionized the Egyptian practice of embalming. And so you're replacing bodily fluids like blood with chemical substances like arsenic or mercury or mm-hmm. other zinchroma and type materials. Super and, safe to handle. Might super, I super safe and super, super not gross. Um, yeah. And so field embalmings were popular in the American Civil War because if you were from Maine and you were killed in Pennsylvania, your family would rather receive you in a manner that's not as compo- decomposed or disgusting. So field embalming offices were set up by these kind of huckster embalmer doctors. Oh, but it's would... re- it was such an amazing thing that they could do that, that they bothered to do that. I mean, it's it's an given the death count yes. at the time. It's really Immense... it's really incredible. Immense care for the dead, and the American public is confronting the loss of 700,000 people, the smell, the stench, the blood. I can't. The, I can't. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. And so embalming becomes very, very popular through the American Civil War, but it was only military practice. However, Lincoln's son, Willie, was 
embalmed in 1862 when he died. And Lincoln apparently visited Willie's body many times and may have actually looked upon the face of Willie when he sat in the vault um, in the Washington Cemetery where he was temporarily buried. So it's decided that Lincoln will be embalmed as well because this funeral that he's about to embark on, he's going to be seen by everyone. People are going to look, look on the open casket of Lincoln. So the embalming process begins and Lincoln lies in state in the rotunda of the Capitol starting on April 19th. Have you ever heard of the Lincoln catafalque? The Lincoln catafalque? No, I don't think so. So the catafalque, a catafalque is a platform for a coffin. And the catafalque is a pine box that's covered with black drapery. And mm-hmm. so Lincoln, Lincoln's body is put in the rotunda, which is newly completed, the, the dome of the Capitol, and he lies in state, and he's sitting on top of the Lincoln catafalque. The catafalque is still around, and presidents who have died since all have been laid to, or laid on the Lincoln catafalque. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And it's, so you can That's see really it cool. when, when you go to the Capitol, you can still see it. Regular folks, like think about um, people who didn't hold office, like Billy Graham or Rosa Parks were not on the catafalque. But in fact, that tradition changed in 2021 for Capitol Police Officer William Evans, who was killed on January 6th. His body was placed on the Lincoln catafalque. So when, wow. you, see a, when you see a body lying in state in the Capitol... Remember the Lincoln catafalque, JFK. Think about all these people who were upon this piece of wood. It's very interesting. That's awesome. I can't believe I didn't know about that. That's really cool. It's like such an amazing word, too. It's it's just a I love it. Piece. I can't even yeah. say it. Cataf- catafalque? Yeah, catafalque. So it has a Q-U-E at the end. Yeah. Lincoln lies in state. He is seen by thousands of people. And then the Lincoln funeral train begins. Dude, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> a glorious roster of 19th century morning pageantry commences for Abraham Lincoln um, from April 21st to May 4th, 1865. From Washington to Springfield, Illinois, Lincoln's body goes on a journey of 1,654 miles, tracing it's his. So crazy. Tracing his route from Springfield to Washington when he was elected president. He stops in over a dozen cities. More than 10,000 people saw the train leave Washington, this mournful procession. The funeral train was elaborate. It had a hearse car, a guard of honor, military officials who watched the body 24 hours a day. A few stops of the tour. We can't talk about everything. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in Philadelphia, he, is lay, he, is lay, he lies in state in Independence Hall in the room where the Declaration of Independence was signed. Oh, chills. Like just the connective threads of the history. He's in the tapestry of the story. He goes to New York City and he is in City Hall, which was something of a kerfuffle because City Hall is not a big building. And so he had to be put in the chamber there. Yes. Um, He's in Buffalo, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Chicago, and finally Springfield. And he lays in state in each city. So not only is he on this train hurtling 20 miles an hour, very, very slow. And as the train goes by, people are singing. They're taking off their hats. You know, they're waiting for hours to see the train. And then when he gets to a city, okay, now he has to get onto a horse-drawn carriage. Mm -hmm. And he's getting jostled and moved. And he's, you know, the body is being opened again to be seen. One of my earliest museum gigs was working at the New York Historical Society, which I think I've mentioned before. And I was hired to do an exhibit called Lincoln in New York. And it was this brilliant exhibition that was literally about his relationship with New York City from when he first spoke at Cooper Union Union, to 
his funeral procession. And so at the end of the exhibit, it had this big, beautiful, blown up picture of his procession. And it makes sure to point out young Theodore Roosevelt looking out the window. Yes, at Cornelius Cornelius Roosevelt's house, his grandfather. Yes, and it's such it's such a cool thing, and and they also did a really beautiful job of decorating the exhibition with a lot of funeral bunting, and you can see like on people's balconies on what would have been Broadway at the time and and today, just everything was draped in black. Children were writing like notes to him. It was just prayers and 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 just such this outpouring of intense emotion and feeling and and fervor. I mean, it inspired poetry and song. And it's just because like you said, it was unprecedented and, and painful when they thought the country was about to heal. And then this horrific tragedy takes place. Right. And people who had known Lincoln, they want to see him again. People who had never seen Lincoln now have a chance to see him. Right. And their mobs of people could not even be accommodated. When you look at these photos of these processions, there's amazing banners usually on buildings. Yes. Um, one of them, my favorites, is he lives in the hearts of the people. Yes, I love that one too. And the one uh, City Hall is a nation mourns. It's just this like the Victorian heft of the morning is so palpable. And apparently also Grover Cleveland saw him, like many other presidents yes. may have been a part of that when he was touring. There's a great little quote from the New York Times from when he got to New York. So when he was at New York, it was rather warm and uh, the body was already starting to show some signs of decay despite the, imme the immense embalming. To those who had not seen Mr. Lincoln in life, the view may be satisfactory, but to those who were familiar with his features, it is far otherwise. Mm -hmm. The color is leaden, almost brown. Mm. The forehead recedes sharp and clearly marked. The eyes deep sunk and close held upon the sockets. The cheekbones always high and unusually prominent. The cheeks hollowed and deep pitted. Yeah. The unnaturally thin lips shut tight as if firm and glued together. So throughout they the, were. <laughs> yeah, or sewn together in many cases. Yeah. So, and the embalmer gets called and they're like, yo, he's not going to make it. So he is touched up with caked ma makeup, you know, and more fluids constantly throughout so bad. the tour. Oh so God. for three weeks. And of course there was a stench. And so there would have been a lot of flowers around and sort of ways of, disguising or masking the smell. How do you, real quick question for you. How do you feel about that? Do you think that it's more important that he does this funeral procession and for the benefit of the people? Or do you feel like preserving the body, getting it buried and done happens? Like it just, this is just your opinion, not based on anything. Yeah, I think they needed time <laughs> to figure yeah. out what to do with his body because they weren't really sure. There was no plan. Um, sure. So this was also them <laughs> buying some time. <laughs> I do think that. I do think that. You're probably not totally wrong. And it was also a way of like stitching the country back together. Like even though the union was very strong, this pro this procession you know, was a way of tying all these places. Together. And he also, you know, it's hard to compare him to any other president regardless, but. Um, right. Yeah, you're probably right. I think people might have like rioted if they cut it short or something. I think so. And the, the morbid curiosity of people who want to see his body. Right. Is, he, is he a real person? And yeah. also I have to see the trauma, the tragedy. I have to experience it myself because how else do we experience people in this time again no video you know there's a right. sense of like this is my experience no I, we talked I about this, this with death masks is you yes. know there's this i want to i want to connect as closely as i can 
to this person. And if that means I have to do it in their death, then I'll do it in their death. When Lincoln is sort of charging towards Springfield, there's a debate about where he'll be buried. The uh, National Lincoln Monument Association wants to have him buried in the center of Springfield because tourists can come and visit his body and they'll mm -hmm. support local economy. Mary Todd says, hell no, he'll be buried mm -hmm. at Oak Ridge Cemetery because apparently when the cemetery was dedicated in 1860, Lincoln was there with Mary Todd and said, I would like to be buried in a quiet place like this. And Oak Ridge is where? Oak Ridge is like two miles out of town but still in the greater Springfield. In Springfield, yeah. So it's in Springfield. It's just not in the center of town. So it's a countryside, you know, uh, landscape cemetery. So Lincoln has moved to the temporary receiving vault, the public receiving vault at Oak Ridge in 1865. That's the final stop in May of 1865. But is it the final stop? Mm -hmm. So the vault, the, the memorial needs to be built. There's a design competition. They pick a builder and they create this beautiful tomb on top of the hill. And so in that process, Lincoln was moved to another vault in 1866. Poor man. Closer to the tomb and then finally transferred to the tomb in 1870. Now, what happened there was they didn't measure the niche that they built <laughs> for the coffin against the marble sarcophagus that had been built for Lincoln. Didn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> so planning was a clusterfuck to say the least. So Lincoln, no, they're is, doing great. They're doing Link, great. Lincoln is placed in a, another coffin and in a gated room with a padlock. And that is the level of security for which the 16th president's final corporeal remains are housed. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's already been murdered. I can't imagine anyone <laughs> would want to screw with his body. <laughs> So the tomb is completed in 1874. Ulysses S. Grant dedicates the tomb. Now we get to a really interesting part of the story, ladies this and gentlemen. This is the greatest story ever. The greatest like, buildup like, ever. Like Looney Tunes quality content coming up. Truly, truly. Yeah. So counterfeiters... <laughs> are a major problem in the United States. There's mm -hmm. always been problems with money. Every bank issued its own notes. And then even when Lincoln helped issue national currency, counterfeiting actually became easier because mm -hmm. people were not inspecting bank notes as closely. And the Secret Service, which was first put in place by Lincoln to exactly. control the counterfeiting issue, who comes yes. into the story. So November 7th, 1876, there is a plot to kidnap Lincoln's body <laughs> and hold it for ransom. A man named Big Jim Canale <laughs> in Chicago, his counterfeiting operation is hampered by the fact that his engraver, a man by the name of Ben Boyd, has been incarcerated. No relation. No relation. I was going to say, I was thinking of you when you said you were going to do this. And I was like, ooh, yeah. because it's a familial story. Ancestry.com has not bore this out. So mm. Ben Boyd was a very accomplished engraver. He's in jail for 10 years. Jim Kennelly thinks, well, if we steal Lincoln's body, we can hold him ransom. The government can release my friend Ben. And while we're at it, let's get 200K out of this. $200,000 yeah. as well. Chicago was already doing real good in the crime category. Huge yeah. hotbed of organized crime. So Kennelly recruits two conspirators, Mullins and Hughes, um, who then get two other conspirators who, unbeknownst to them, are informants for the Secret Service. So a gentleman... <laughs> I'm sorry. This is it's only the shit. beginning of how stupid this gets. <laughs> well, and it's also like conspiracies are so hot in our culture. But let's remember like how good you have to be in a conspiracy to pull something off. When you involve oh, yeah. more than one person, there, there's more factors for things to go wrong. 
Yeah. So the gentleman by the name of Louis Swagels is uh, recruited by the Secret Service. He calls the Pinkerton agents and the Secret Service and says, yo, they're going to steal Lincoln's body. What's going on? So counterfeiting, as you know, Katie, the, again, the punishment for it was not very strong. No. You could get away with it. And the same thing was true for body snatching. Body snatching was not even really a big crime. It's horrible. It's abhorrent, but it wasn't yes. really reflected in the law. So they ring up Robert Todd Lincoln. They say to Robert Todd, look, we got a plot going. We got two guys on the inside. Will you allow us to stage a sting in which they can kind of steal the body so we can kind of catch them in the act so we can bring these guys to justice? Robert Todd Lincoln says, go for it, dude. November 7th. I want to see the Wes Anderson version of this movie, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. It's high comedy. It's hysterical. And it's dramatic. So November 7th, 1876 is election night. Unbelievable. And but so, and the election of Rutherford B. Hayes is a huge part of the Reconstruction story mm -hmm. and, the, and the rise of the Southern Dixiecrats. Perfect night to do this kind of thing. The guys get to, there's the Secret Service is stinging out the tomb. In the back of the tomb, the grave robbers break into the tomb and they break the padlock and they begin to disassemble the marble coffin. And in the coffin is the wooden and lead box in which Lincoln's body is, which weighs 500 pounds. <laughs> They, and this is like, how the hell are you going to do this? <laughs> so stupid. So Swagels is like, okay, I'm going to go get the carriage. I'll be right back. Wink, wink. He goes and sets his signal to the Secret Service. Never trust a Swagels. That's the that's the real <laughs> lesson here. You got Swagels real hard. You got Swagels. So the Secret Service like is ready to go. They've been there for hours. They're keyed up. And they go out there. And one of the guys cocks his gun and accidentally fires a shot, which alerts the grave robbers, and they take off. Wait, wait. Yes. The, remind me, because I haven't read this story in a long mm -hmm. time. Is Was that one of the Secret Service, quote-unquote, accidentally shooting off his gun, or was this one of the idiots accidentally shooting off his gun? No, this was apparently one of the Secret Service guys who shot him <laughs> Okay. <off. laughs> that makes more because I thought, oh my God, they're this inept. <laughs> right. They were like, they were not expecting gunplay. So <laughs> then there's a shootout at the tomb. <laughs> And it's actually between Pinkerton guards and Secret Service mistaking the identity of the other. Yosemite Sam was there. Can you just imagine, like, it's the middle of the night, you know, Lincoln's just chilling there, and then this this whole thing just goes down in the middle of the cemetery. Yeah. Again, cinematic as hell. Rolling in that grave. Of course, the counterfeiters, as you as you allege, Katie, and as you sort of presage, they're not that smart. <laughs> they they hightail it back to Chicago and they go back they go back to the same bar where they planned the heist. <laughs> that didn't go so good. <laughs> and then they're arrested and uh, brought to justice. They only serve a year in prison. Yeah, everyone um, knows that if you plan to commit a crime, go back to the place where you start <laughs> so you get caught. <laughs> exactly. The specter of the possible abduction of Lincoln's body is another trauma that is felt by Springfield. It wasn't really mm -hmm. widely reported. The election of 76 really overshadowed it. And it was a, a horrible story that people almost didn't even want to talk about. Oh, um, it's so it's so like doubly heartbreaking and, and just, killing him again. Yeah. And just like the disrespect upon disrespect. It's yes, just, it's it's horrible. So a man named John Power is the custodian of the tomb the sort of ranger of the tomb. And he decides, hmm, why don't we hide the body in the tomb in an unknown location so that even when people are looking at the sarcophagus, Lincoln's body is not actually there. So he takes Lincoln's body and puts it in the earthen basement, the damp, dank basement of the tomb and puts lumber on top of it to make it look like a pile of shit. 
Great idea. Sad that it had to come to that. So sad. And yeah. Lincoln's body remains there for several more years. What's happening with these caretakers is they're getting older. And it's mm -hmm. hard moving around this freaking 500-pound leaden, you know, box of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. So they hire some young guys in 1878 to put the body in the earth within the, the tomb itself. So now Lincoln is buried in a random spot in a random corner of the tomb in the earth. And he remains there for several more years. Uh, the Lincoln Guard of Honor was created in 1880, a secret group of men who took it upon themselves to be the stewards of the body. Only Robert Todd Lincoln knew of the existence of this group. Mm. In 1882, Mary Todd passes away and she's buried in the earth <laughs> next to Lincoln on the request of Robert Todd Lincoln. In 1887, he finally did right by her. In, <laughs> in 1887, right, after having her committed to a committed, institution. Yeah. Yep. So in 1887, they're moved out of the basement into a brick vault. Again, just constant movement. In 1900, the bodies of Lincoln, Mary Todd, and, th and three of their boys, their boys are right? removed yeah. from the tomb because the tomb is falling apart. <laughs> the tomb was built on a high water table. It's sinking into the earth, into the clay earth of, Spring of Springfield. And so they they put the bodies in a new, a new hole. They put concrete over it. As Nobody's getting in there. Right. So he's protected, right? So he's moved in 1900. And then finally, he is moved one last time. So Robert Todd Lincoln goes to the vault and he's like, Jesus Christ, you freaking nerds, late guard of honor. I can't stand you guys. Like, I appreciate <laughs> what you're doing, but you're fucking crazy. And so they move his body again. And, and Robert says, put him 10 feet below the funeral room, the burial room where his sarcophagus would have been, put a steel cage around it mm -hmm. and bury him in concrete. Enough. And, and they're, like, and they're like, okay. So before that happens, so Lincoln's body is unceremoniously moved into the spot where he'll be buried. A young man by the name of Fleetwood Lindley, age 13, who's the son of one of the Guard of Honor, is told to go to the tomb because he may witness something special. Mm -hmm. And when Fleetwood gets to the tomb, he sees the men who have been carrying the coffin. They put it to rest. And the coffin is opened. Oh, I don't remember this part of the story. And the, the crazy thing is, Katie, is that this is not the first time this happened. Think about all those movements I described. Yeah. Almost, almost every single time, they would check to make sure that he was still you there. You still in there? You still in there, Bill? Yeah? Is that you, Abe? <laughs> so they would open the, open the coffin. Fleetwood Lindley remembers the scene very well. Mm. Um, so the body is revealed. The stench is unearthed, and Lincoln's face and countenance are still there. Lincoln's, oh my God, that's so scary. Lincoln's face is clearly visible, his mole, his beard. That his, mole! His face is there. Suits all moldy. There's like pieces of an old American flag that's rotted away. His gloves have rotted away. Mm. Um, and Lindley describes that his face looked like a statue, that it looked bronzed almost. Mm. And so it is believed that because he was probably embalmed 25 times, yeah. <laughs> essentially injected with so much of this fluid, yeah. and the fact that when he was killed, he had these bruises in his face from the breaking of his face, facial bones. Yeah, the bones, yeah. And the bruises never healed. And so his bronze complexion may have been attributed to the ecchymosis, the bruising that oh, occurred. Oh, yeah, because I guess his body couldn't have healed them yeah okay. right so it's like the death kind of like still happening like the bodily rot 
and process of the wound is happening, but then it's arrested by right. The yeah, like they're fighting each other. Yeah, that's so interesting. Right, and isn't it interesting that he becomes a statue? He's a monument to himself in death. So his oh, body so creepy. His body was super well preserved, folks. The coffin was moved seventeen times and opened nearly ten times in that process. That's too many times. Leave the man alone. And I think Robert Todd was like, "You guys just." You're creepy. Stop looking at my dad. Enough. <laughs> Enough. At my dad. <laughs> He's so tired. Let him He's rest. so tired. You know, and I think about like him, you know, Lincoln absorbing the energy of the war, the energy of office seekers, the energy of his wife. Mm. He just took it. He took it all. He took all the licks. He never went off on people. He never, you know, responded in anger. And then his body just continues to absorb Ugh. this this trauma and energy throughout his life. And as we're moving towards the end of the podcast, I want to touch on Lincoln in memory a little bit and a little, a little few more details here. Mm. Um, so as you mentioned, Katie, Walt Whitman wrote several poems about Lincoln, uh, very much moved by his death. Oh, Captain, my captain comes to mind and others. Mm -hmm. There's one called This Dust Was Once the Man. This dust was once the man, gentle, plain, just and resolute, under whose cautious hand against the foulest crime in history known in any land or age was saved the union of these states. Amazing that Lincoln's mm. journey to dust <laughs> was not as swift as it would have been before embalming. <laughs> now think about, think about also, Katie, stay with me. Sorry, uh, <laughs> it took me a minute. So also, if you remember, amazing Stephen Sondheim musical, Assassins. Do I? Mm -hmm. The amazing Victor Garber, of course, you know, being the, one of the first to play John Wilkes Booth. And in John Wilkes Booth's ballad, it's, it is sung, how the bruises may never be healed, how the wounds are forever, how we gave up the field, but we still wouldn't yield. The bruises of the nation, mm -hmm. the bruises of the skull. You know, you can see a lot of interesting parallels there. How the there. union can never recover. So, so good. I love that musical. He's so good. He's so hot. Anyway, so. Speaking of gay pride. <laughs> Hello. As we know, in the 19th century, memorial photography was a huge thing. Posing with the deceased, either making them look as if they're resting or posing them to look like they're still alive. Yeah, we I think we about it a little bit with death we did death, but it is it is a phenomenon that actually might deserve its own treatment oh for sure yeah and you know uh edwin stanton secretary of war and mary todd were united in their desire not to have lincoln's body photographed in sure. new, in new york when he was in city hall a photographer famously took many photos of lincoln in a break in the procession and there's an amazing photo and you look into the coffin and you can see the outline of Lincoln's face. Mm. And that was long believed to be the last photograph of Lincoln. That however, very cool. oh! however, oh! <laughs> there may be another. Is this breaking news? This, so this, is, just kind of, this is sort of breaking news y'all 160 years later. A few years ago, a, a bioethicist based in California was uh, told about another photograph of Lincoln that may have been taken just after he died. Mm. And so this photograph. Show me the receipts. I just sent it to you. <gasps> what? What? Hang on. Hang on. Hold on. <laughs> I am so excited. Lincoln's death photo. Lincoln's death. Shut the fuck up no <laughs> no that's real no what do you think does it look like him very sallow 
like very sallow he looks gaunt as anything i mean you know extremely so this photograph is an amber is this photograph is an ambrotype and what's interesting katie and i didn't know this until i started looking into this first of all there's a documentary about this on discovery called undiscovered the lost lincoln amazing watch please watch it okay um and this this the scholarship of it is actually really good the claim is that this is the death photo of lincoln so in the in the peterson house I didn't know this. There were borders above the room where Lincoln died. Two brothers, the Ulky brothers, who were famous photographers. <gasps> and if you've, my mind. if you've seen the photographs of Lincoln's deathbed, which exist, where his body is removed, it is simple or easy to think that before the body was removed, another photograph was taken of his body. Sure. So the forensic analysis of the photograph, the photograph is owned by a private party and they sued Discovery about the documentary. It's very contentious. So the photograph has not been identified because the physical original photograph is in a safety deposit box somewhere it in the United some States. weirdo somewhere. Somebody who's hoarding it, right. Um, but the fuck? Why? For what? Get it For out. What? purpose well and that's also a question of like why are we talking about this but like the humanity of lincoln is so important it is so important to remember him as a man and anything we can glean you know from this evidence is immensely valuable it may seem like it's not but it's a part of the historical record there are only 130 photographs of lincoln this might be yeah. number 131 and it can, oh it's so creepy oh it my is God. so creepy He's, i hate it i hope it's not him <laughs> <laughs> the uh, evidence presented is very compelling, and I, I think it is. I, I think it's him. You. I'll have to watch the doc. Yeah, it's not pleasant. It's not. It's not good. Yeah, it, sure. it is morbid, as promised. So, yeah. and that is that is a, an amber type photo. Yeah. So Henry and John Olkey are two men who were famous photographers, and they very likely took the photo um, because they took many funerary pictures when they lived in Europe. That actually how they became famous. Mm. Um, and so it's 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 very possible. So consider. Consider the remains of Lincoln, full of mercury, <laughs> full of embalming fluid. Ooh, um, apparently. <laughs> yes. The man who arbitrated the, the peace of the nation, you know, didn't didn't live in peace. But mm. his ap apotheosis, pictures of him being embraced by the ghost of George Washington in heaven, bespeak who he becomes in legend and lore. But it's so important to remember who he was as a person. Yes. And as we're moving towards the close, I want to I want to let Lincoln speak a little bit. Quick quote from Lincoln's second inaugural address, 1865, as he's hoping to bring the nation back together. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. It's a real person who wrote these words, who spoke these words. And Lincoln's body tells us a lot about what he meant to us, whether it be for ill or for good, and how he is now, finally, at rest. Where can you go to experience this story? Of course, you can go to Lincoln's tomb at Oak Ridge. You can visit the Lincoln Home National Historic Site in Springfield, where he lived as an adult, the Lincoln Presidential Library in Springfield, Illinois, 
Ford's Theater and Peterson House in Washington is an so much Lincoln content everywhere. Really, is an incredible experience. Yeah, you can see yeah. the pistol. You can see the pistol booth fired at Ford's Theater. The Lincoln Rocker that he was shot in of is mm. at is in Dearborn, Michigan, at the Henry Ford Museum. The Deathbed is at the Chicago History Museum. These things are far flung. There is a creepy piece of John Wilkes Booth's DNA at the Mutter Museum in Philadelphia. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> um, and, the, and the bullet that killed Lincoln is at the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Silver Spring, Maryland. My favorite stop That's on That's a this- fun road trip. <laughs> yeah, right? That's a weird Lincoln one. tour. My favorite stop on this tour, of course, is Mary Surratt's boarding house. And so Mary Surratt's boarding house, where the plot was hatched, mm-hmm. is now in Chinatown in Washington. Mm-hmm. And the building is still there, folks. And if you're ever hungry... Check out the walk and roll <laughs> Chinese restaurant for some Chinese and Japanese fare and karaoke in the walls where Lincoln's death was plotted. <laughs> oh, too, how fun. Too good not to too good not to include. That's great. Um, so there are many, many resources, of course. You can look at the diaries of uh, uh, Lincoln's secretary, John Hay, Manhunt, The 12-Day Chase for Lincoln's Killer by James Swanson. Of course, Dorrance Kern's Goodwin's book, Team of Rivals. Amazing great book. book. Amazing book, Stealing Lincoln's Body by Thomas Crawwell, really mm-hmm. goes in. There's podcasts about Lincoln. There's movies about Lincoln, all of which will be shared. I have a finger puppet of Lincoln, really <laughs> anything. You have a cardboard cutout of Lincoln. I have, I have Maybe we'll post that photo on <laughs> On our social of me at my bridal shower with a cutout of Lincoln. <laughs> yes. There's an amazing book, Lincoln in the Bardo, about Lincoln visiting Willie's body in the Washington Cemetery in the vault where he was buried. It's kind of like Spoon, mm. it's kind of like Spoon River or Our Town. Mm. So all this all the spirits of the cemetery are characters. Oh, cool. It's, it's such a cool book. And they made it it's like a stage play. A good friend of mine, Brad, recommended that to me. And so shout out to Brad. Really good book, Lincoln in the Bardo. Um, That's very cool. Yeah, so, I like that. Lincoln is huge in our imagination. You can never be done with Lincoln. So I would encourage you to explore this topic, the many, many sub-themes. And thank you so much for joining us for this wild ride of Lincoln's body. Thank you, Luke. That was fantastic. I always appreciate it when I can learn something new in a topic that I actually know a bit about. So thank you so much. Really, really well done. You did your research. Good for you. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Please remember to tune in every Monday for our Morbid Monday podcast. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's very important for our survival. <laughs> That's how we get by is on ratings. Yes, folks. Follow us at the Morbid Museum on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening and join us next time for the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.